Well, good morning, church. Good morning online. We're glad you guys are tuning in. I hope you guys have had a great weekend. Enjoyed the sunshine. It's so nice to see a little sunshine out there, even when the temperatures are cold. It just kind of warms you up a little bit, right? Makes you feel. So if you've been joining us the last couple of weeks, you know that we're in this series where we're talking about what God is for. That God is for us. That God is for others. And today we're going to talk about how God is for community. But what I want you to understand, this is a very intentional series. They're all intentional. This one might be the most intentional. What I want you to hear in these three weeks is my heart, my passion, my desire for if this is going to be the place you call home, this is what we're going to be about. We're going to be about making sure we're a place where people know God is for them. And because God is for them, we're for them. And so as we dig in, this is a chance for us to kind of start together and say, hey, we've laid a couple blocks of a foundation. We're putting a stake in the ground. And we're saying, this is who we're going to be from this point on. So I want you to be thinking about that. Because that's not a small thing. And I get that that's not a small thing. And so we have to ask ourselves, where are we in this process? As we walk through this idea that this is who God is calling us to be as a church. And where are we personally in that journey? So these two ideas, God's for us, God's for others. And we've got a third piece we've got to put down. God's for community. And we kind of glazed over this piece in the football analogy last week. Remember when you guys like booed me off stage because I made fun of the Packers and that wasn't an okay thing to do, I guess. So, right. So we talked about God's the coach up in the play box. He's calling the play down to the coach. The coach calls the play out to the quarterback. The team huddles together. They get the play and then they go execute the play, right? So we've talked about how God calls that play down to us and he's for us. We've talked about how when we break the huddle and we go out And we're going to run the play and make sure everybody else outside the church knows God's for them. But what we haven't talked about is what happens in that huddle. What happens when that team comes together? And what happens if we're looking at our lives as a church as analogy of a football team? What happens? What do we hope happens here on a Sunday morning and all throughout the week in your life groups? What's that look like? So the story we're going to use to pick up, I think, is probably one of the most underutilized stories in all of Scripture. It's in Luke chapter 19. So if you've got your Bible, you want to turn there. Matthew, Mark, Luke, you get to John. You've gone too far. Acts, you've gone way too far. Go back towards the front. Or if you're on your iPhone, you can pull out the YouVersion Bible app. Look that up, and uh, you can follow along there. So this story is the story that you've sung about as a kid if you grew up in the church, right? If you spent any time in church as a kid, you sang this story. Now, I'm going to speak the lyrics to you because it would be my last Sunday here if I sang the lyrics to you. You would never want me to come back, right? So the story goes something, or the song goes something like this. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree, See, you guys know it. I knew you would. So we've taken this incredible Bible story and we've reduced it down to how short Zacchaeus was. 
right? That's what you know about Zacchaeus. What do you know about Zacchaeus? He was short. He climbed a tree because he wanted to see Jesus. Okay, so let's dig into this story we find in Luke chapter 19. And before I go too far, I do want you to know the concepts we're going to talk about today come out of this book called It's Personal. So if you're a reader, if you're like, hey, I love resources, I love books, this is a great book. One, it's, look how thick it is. It's real short. Two, it has like lots of white space on the pages. So it's a quick read. If you pick this up and read it, let me know because I would love to talk to you about it. Because this is a book that's kind of been shaping my life and my ministry over probably the last three or four years. Luke chapter 19, verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he'd become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy, but the people were displeased. He's gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give you half my wealth. I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I've cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. Here's what I think that story wraps up. If I was going to wrap it into one sentence, it wouldn't have anything to do about Zacchaeus being a wee little man. It would have everything to do with community only happens when we are personally known. If we're going to be for community, we need to understand that community only happens when we are personally known. And I think community happens when we're personally known. We know that when we can answer these five questions. Verse five, Jesus answers the question, do you know my name? Verses one through four, he answers the question, do you know what I value? Verse five, again, he answers, do you know where I live? Verse six and seven, he says, do you know what I've done? And verses eight and nine, he answers the question, do you know what I can do? So we're gonna take a deeper look at those five questions and kind of unpack them as we walk through this story this morning. So if you've moved neighborhoods, cities, Churches, what is the hardest part of moving to a new place? The unknown. All right, I love audience participation. That's great. For me, the hardest part is learning your names. Right? Like, because I've been here for three months. So you guys have all told me your name. And now we're at that, like, awkward point. Right? Where it's like, I should know your name. We've talked eight times. But I don't. I don't know all your names. I know some of your names. I don't know all of them. And the, the, here's the truth. 
Can we be honest a minute? We forget these names because there's so much new information coming in. So you tell me your name, then you tell me your, let's say I'm talking to a husband. He tells me his name, tells me his wife's name, tells me his kids' names, tells me what they do. They play soccer, they're in the band, they do this, they go to basketball, they do this. By the end of the conversation, I can tell you everything everybody does, but I don't remember your name. But when somebody walks up to you and they call you by name, there's something that happens. If we're going to be a place that's for community, we need to get to know people by name. We have to be able to answer the question, do you know my name? And as much as I want to be like, well, Jesus, I was busy. That's why I didn't know their name. Let's pause for a moment in the story and see where Jesus is, right? This is the getting really close to the end of Jesus' on-earth ministry. He's fed 5,000 people. He's healed some lepers. He's cast out demons. He's calmed a storm. Right before this, he's healed the blind man. And here he walks into Jericho. This huge crowd is around him, and probably the most hated man in the entire city has shown up. Zacchaeus. We have no clue why he's come or what he wants, but we know he's a tax collector. And we know that at that time, tax collectors were not very good guys, and we're going to get to that in just a minute. But as Jesus walks with this crowd pushing in, a crowd that Zacchaeus apparently couldn't even push his way to the front of. He had to run up and climb a tree. Jesus looks up. There's a guy in the tree, and he doesn't say, hey, you, come down here. He looks up and he sees Zacchaeus and he says, Zacchaeus, I want you to come down because today I'm going to your house for lunch. When Jesus speaks Zacchaeus' name, he gives him identity. When we meet someone and we remember their name, we say, you're important enough for me to remember. And we reaffirm and reconfirm in them that their identity is worth knowing. Now, I could ask somebody in the room, I could give you a microphone and say, okay, who wants to come up and name off everybody in the room? Right? There's a couple reasons we won't do that. One, we got a time thing we're trying to keep to. There's a second service. The other is, this is a big community. There's a lot of people here. But if I ask you, you can side-eye this if you want, but don't turn your head because people will know you're looking. Do you know the people who sit around you? The eight or ten people who are right around you right now? Do you know their names? You see, this is why life group is so important. When we think about life groups, we think about our community, we think about the opportunity we have to be known, it's like eight to 20 people sitting in somebody's living room, and we know everybody's name. I know I'm a little bit older. Some of you will remember this TV show. It's called Cheers. And in Cheers, there's this signature thing. The one character walks in. He walks in the bar, and everybody says, Norm. Norm, right? That's what it's all about. They knew his name. Norm felt like that was a place he could belong. 
And the truth is, church, we need to learn from that because if they don't belong here, they'll find someplace else to belong where everybody else calls their name. For those of you who are like, I have no clue what you're talking about with Cheers. I had never even heard of that show before. Let me, let me pull the curtain back for you a little bit. Starbucks, do you know why they write your name on the cup? Because their goal is to be your third place. Your first place is home. Your second place is work. The third place they want you to be known is there. They write your name on the cup, so you're no longer tall moco, half splenda, no whip, no fat, whatever. You're Jason. That is not my drink, by the way. Way too complicated. (laughs) Identity and belonging matter. And when we know someone's name, we make them feel like they are known and they are welcome. Jesus knows it's important that he calls Zacchaeus by name. There are people all around us wondering if they belong here. There are people all around you at work and school wondering if they fit in. And not only does Jesus know Zacchaeus' name, he knows what Zacchaeus values. Do you know what I value? Again, this is the end. Jesus is headed to Jerusalem. By the kind of, I forget if it's the end of this chapter or the beginning of the next chapter, he's going to be walking in. It's like Palm Sunday. People are singing his name. He's riding a donkey into Jerusalem. The triumphal entry is there, and in less than a week, he'll be crucified. He has a lot going on. He's talked to his disciples. They know this is happening. This is a critical point in Jesus' life, in his ministry. It's maybe the peak. It's a time that there's all this stress going on. And in the middle of all that, Jesus says, hey, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house to have lunch. Why would he do that? Why would he take the time? Because he wanted to know what Zacchaeus valued. Can we have a church talk for just a minute? Everybody kind of, kind of pretend like we're circling in. Just a heart to heart. Do you know what the two most uncomfortable times at church are? The meet and greet time we just went through and the time in between services. Because what happens in those times? Let's just be honest. You have to, well, you have to talk. Some people are like, don't talk to me, introverted. It's obviously not my problem. The other thing is, those of us who like to talk, we have people we have to talk to. We walk into this building and we say, oh, I need to make sure I see that person. I need to connect with that person. Oh, there's that person who's in my life group. I want to talk to them. And I want to go talk to them. And what we do is we start making beelines around the room and around the building to talk to all the people we already know. Meanwhile, there are people who are here for their first time or their second time or their third time or they don't have an agenda when they walked in. They're just trying to figure out where do I fit. And we go racing around looking for the people we've got to meet and we walk right past them. We don't do it intentionally. We do it on accident. We don't do it to be mean. We do it because we've just so focused on what we have to do. If we're going to be a place that's for community, 
we have to begin to slow down enough to see those around us who are aching for a place to belong, for someone to see them. The people who are willing to climb a tree so they can be seen. Then Jesus does what I think is probably the scariest verse in all of scripture. He says to Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. Anybody else, if you came to church and someone said, hey, I'm coming over for lunch, start to have the sinking pit in your stomach, right? Like I do. But in saying, I'm coming to your house, Jesus is saying, listen, I know your name, Zacchaeus. I want to spend time with you so I can know what you value. But I also want to know where you live. If we're going to be about community, do we know where each other lives? And I don't mean your street address. You see, if you were going to come over to my house today, I'm going to have that pit in my my stomach a little bit. Because there are two boys that live in my house. Let's be honest, there are three boys that live in my house. Should pray for my wife. I don't know what's on the floor in what room. We have a dog that's like a seasoning in our house. Like dog hair is just a flavor you add to all the food. So it's like, okay, have we vacuumed up all the dog hair? What's that going to look like? How big is the pile of laundry on the couch right now that's clean but we didn't put away this week? How towering are the dishes in the sink? Like, what does that? So if you're going to come over to my house unexpectedly, that, that's a different level of relationship for us. Like, you can come over anytime you want. I love hospitality. I love to host people. But I need, like, at least an hour's notice, right? So I'm going to, because I'm going to spend that whole hour, I'm probably going to be sweaty when you show up because the house is going to be clean, right? Everybody else is like this. This, is my, this was my childhood growing up. So my friend in Minneapolis has coined a term called refrigerator friends. And you know you're a refrigerator friend when you can show up unannounced, knock on the door, walk in and open the refrigerator and get yourself something to drink. If we're going to be about community, we've got to be about letting people know where we live. We've got to be about creating Refrigerator friends. What's really behind this question is, do you know what my life looks like when I'm not all put together? Do you know the hurt I carry from broken relationships? Do you know the stuff that's below the surface? Church, we're real good at hiding this stuff, right? We do it, some of us do it regularly on Sunday morning, right? What do you do? You drive to church, Scream at your spouse or your significant other because you had a fight on the way there. Kids are being dumb in the backseat. You're yelling at them. Like, there's, your face is red. I have a vein that pops out right here. It's, like, super scary. And we walk out of that, and we get out of the car, and we walk up, and there's the greeter at the door. And what we say? Good morning. How are you? Oh, I'm so good. We put on our smiling, happy church face. And we go, I'm so glad to be here. And down below, we're, like, boiling. The blood pressure is up. We're ready to, like hurt like we could smack something like this is why I kickbox if you're curious I need to get this out but who knows what life's really like I mean it's funny to laugh at that stuff right it's what we do but we do it because we're not sure we want everybody to know where we live we're not sure we're ready for them to see that baggage or to feel that hurt or to know the scars that we carry 
This is honestly, this is maybe a side tangent you just got to deal with today. This is why social media rants and condemnations are so tragic. Because we hide behind a screen. We make blanket statements about someone else's actions or inactions, their spiritual life, or whatever might be triggering us that day. Instead of getting close enough to actually hear what's going on, to feel and learn to be empathetic about what's happening in their situation. You see, when we learn to be empathetic, when we learn to say, it's safe here, community can happen here, you can let us see below the surface here, we have to allow ourselves to be opened up to new ideas and new experiences and new questions. We have to be honest that we might not know all the answers. But when we're empathetic, when we get to this point where we can answer the question, do you know my name? Do you know what I value? And do you know where I live? Something amazing happens. And I want you to take a look at this passage, either on your phone, in your Bible, or on the screen. I'm going to be quiet for a couple minutes. Not really that long, a couple seconds. I want you to skim through this passage and I want you to look at what's not there. What's missing from this passage? Read it, take a look at it. What's not there? I'll give you a hint. It's our, the answer to our fourth question. The fourth question is, do you know what I've done? You know what's not there? Did you find it? Jesus never condemns Zacchaeus for all the awful things he's done. There's no statement of condemnation. And let me tell you, Zacchaeus has done awful things. Zacchaeus is probably the absolute worst kind of leader in power that any of us would want to be around. He's leveraging a corrupt taxation system put in place by the Roman government, but then he's using it for his own personal gain. At worst, he's an extortionist. At best, he's a thief. And the worst part is all these bad actions are supported by the government and backed, and he's protected. He's allowed to just take what's not his and say it's tax. We think the IRS is bad. It's nothing compared to what tax collectors were like in Zacchaeus' day. He was literally robbing from the poor and making them poorer at his own personal benefit and wealth. And Jesus goes to this guy's house for lunch. So imagine if you're the crowd. Right? They hate him for a reason. He's literally attacked them. He's made wealth off of their work. And Jesus, the guy they think is going to be the Messiah, is like, hey, I want to come have lunch with you today. And they're like, wait, what? Are you going to support him too? We thought your message was different. We thought this was going to change. Jesus, just in chapter 18, you condemn the rich young ruler for not being willing to give his wealth to the poor. And now you're eating lunch with Zacchaeus, a guy who's made his wealth off the poor?
I don't know the answers to all the why questions. What I do know is that Jesus loved Zacchaeus enough to provide a place of community. And in the midst of that place of community, everything changed. Jesus let Zacchaeus know that he knew his name. He let Zacchaeus know that he knew what he valued. He let him know he knew where he lived. And then Zacchaeus repents. Zacchaeus turns around. A community is a safe enough place to be honest about who we are and a place that allows us to be set free from the shame and guilt of our past. Community is a place where we can experience forgiveness for our sins, healing from our past, and love despite our scars. I've told you guys before, I was not the kid you wanted your children to hang out with when I was in high school or middle school. Middle school was probably worse than high school, but middle school for sure. One night, my parents are divorced. One night, a new youth pastor came into town. His name was Wes. My mom and I had a fight on the way home from youth group. My mom was tired of the smiling face she put on. So she looked at me in the car and she said, you're going to go talk to Wes. I'm turning this car around right now. And she was serious. So when she slowed down enough to make the U-turn, I opened the door and jumped out. And I took off running. Because I was not about to go talk to Wes. And I started running. I ran through backyards so my mom couldn't see me. I jumped fences. I hid behind trees. I just kept running. And I remember when I finally stopped to catch my breath. I was totally out of breath. I bent over and I looked to my left. And I was in Rick's backyard. If you've been around the last couple of weeks, Rick was my Sunday school teacher in fifth and sixth grade. He was my small group leader in middle school. I have no clue. I don't even think I knew what part of town I was in. I was just running. When I stopped, I was in a place where it felt safe. So I walked up to Rick's door and I knocked on it. It's like 8.30 at night. It's like, what are you doing here? Well, I jumped out of my mom's car because I wasn't going to go talk to Wes. But I probably need to talk to somebody. So Rick, first thing he did was call my mom, say, hey, listen, he's here, he's safe, I'll bring him home. We sat and we talked. (laughs) That's not what I wanted. We sat and we talked. Because Rick knew what I'd done. Rick was a safe enough place for me to be honest about what I'd done about what was going on. Let me be clear. Jesus creates this space for Zacchaeus and Jesus came and walked on this earth to create that space for you and I and everybody to be available. But once we've experienced that community, it's our responsibility to go out and share that community with those around us so that they know God exists 
in community. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is for community. And he wants us to be for that too. And true community doesn't just know what you've done. True community knows what you can do. I have no clue what Zacchaeus thought that morning. But I'm pretty sure he doubted when he left his house that day. Hey, you know what? I, I think I'm going to go climb a sycamore tree. Seems like a fun thing to do. Zacchaeus is a wealthy, rich, grown man. Man, grown men don't climb trees. I'll break something if I fall out of a tree. I'm not climbing a tree. I'm 100% sure Zacchaeus didn't think Jesus was coming to lunch when he left the house that day. And even more than that, I am sure Zacchaeus didn't leave his house today thinking, you know what, when I get back here, I'm going to promise to return four times as much money as I have stolen from the people in this town to every single one of them. And then on top of that, I'm going to give half of the leftover wealth to the poor. And I'm pretty confident that the people in the crowd didn't think Zacchaeus was going to do that on that day either. You see, Zacchaeus' story is a story about transformation that began when he found community. But I believe it's also a story for each and every one of us. When we find community with our Savior, we realize that we're known by the God who created us, that he knows the things we value. He knows where we live. Even the stuff that nobody else knows, God knows. He knows all the junk you've done. The stuff that you're like, please don't ask me to ever tell that to anybody, God knows. But God also knows the incredible things you can do. And church, it's our responsibility to create places of community like that for everybody else. What if your life group was a place where everyone was reminded that God is for them and because God is for them, they can do good. Because God is for them, they can experience real love and offer real love to those around them. And because God is for them, they can change in ways that matter. I believe that's the true hope of the gospel. That transformation is available. We don't have to be defined by what we've done. We can be defined by what we can do. Church community only happens when we're known personally. And if this is your first time here today and you're like, wow, this was, this is a lot. I want you to walk out here with one thing. The God who created you knows you personally. And he wants you to be known. He knows the answers to those five questions that you have. And he wants you to experience that. And if you're looking for that, I want to encourage you. Don't leave here without signing up for a life group. If you've been around for a while and you're like, wow, that sounds really nice. I'd like to... 
I'd like to be in a place where those five questions could be answered for me. I know God can do it, but I need somebody around me who can do it. Do not leave this building without stopping at Connection Central. Talk to somebody. We have life groups every night of the week. We would love to get you plugged into one of those. If you're looking, you're watching online and you're like, I am dying for that, you can email Pastor Chase at chase at greatoakscc.org. And he would love to get you connected into a life group. Maybe you've been in a life group and you've been feeling a tug for a while. Like this place has been so great for my walk, so good for my relationship with Jesus but it's time I make more space so that more people can experience what I need. If everybody here today signs up for a life group, we're gonna need some more life group leaders. And I'm gonna trust that God's been putting on some of our hearts to say, hey, you know what? It's time to step out. This place has become comfortable. It's done all those five things for me, Jason. They've answered all five of those questions, but my heart and my passion is to be, though, be someone who can answer those five questions for somebody else. I can assure you Chase wants to talk to you. If that's where God's working on your heart. Life group leaders, those of you currently leading, how would your life group answer those five questions? Do you know my name? Do you know what I value? Do you know where I live? Do you know what I've done? Do you know what I can do? My prayer is that God continues to daily transform us into that kind of church. Can I get an amen? So here's what I want you to do. We said in January, we're gonna have a monthly prayer focus. Through the month of, September, of February, January, September? I don't know. In the month of February, we're gonna pray for that God would make us a church that's for things and not against things. That we'll be a church that's known for what we're for and not what we're against. And what I want you to do this week, who do you know? Who needs to know God's for them? Who do you know who needs to know God's for community and wants them to be in a community? I want you to start praying for them every day. If you don't know anybody, pray that God will bring somebody to mind. Pray, him, he'll, pray he'll give you eyes to see that person who's ready to climb a sycamore tree to be known, to be noticed, to be seen. And then each week we're going to add on to that this month. So be following our social media or our church e-newsletter as we do that. Who's excited? Start living a life of faith and to be a part of a community of faith that is for someone or for something instead of against it. Will you pray with me? God, you are for us. We forget that. So easily we forget that. God, we get so tied up in our own stuff. We get so burdened with the things that are going on in our lives. We think we've got to do it all on our own. We get so focused on ourselves, we forget about the others. 
We get so focused on our to-do list, we forget that there are people around that matter a whole heck of a lot more than our to-do list. And who you love more than you love our to-do list. God, I pray that as we move forward together as a community of faith, give us eyes to see. To see those who need community, those who are hurting, those who are aching, those who need to know the truth of this message. God, make us a place that creates community like you created for us. Where people feel loved. They feel welcomed. They know there's somebody on their team. God, we are eternally grateful for you for what you've done for us in those areas. Thank you for seeing us, for noticing us. When we were hurting and nobody else could see it, you saw and you sent your son to make sure we knew you saw. Thank you for your grace and mercy. God, we pray all this in Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit.